had so many questions submitted when I asked my audience to submit questions because I wanted to do something different and interesting and fun for my 50th episode, which is right now. I saw every single question that was submitted, but I had a really good friend pull a variety of questions for me, and she emailed them to me. So I am just now seeing the questions that she chose out of the ones that were submitted, and I'm going to answer them for you. So how spontaneous and fun is that? While I've seen the questions, I don't know which ones that she actually chose for me to answer, so there is no preparation here. I am just super excited for my 50th episode celebration with you all of this podcast, the Literacy Dive Podcast. Time really does fly by, and this is going to be a fun, lighthearted episode, and I'm so happy that you are here tuning in with me. You're going to learn more about me, some literacy tips, and maybe some other random facts. So if you are ready for this episode, let's dive in. Welcome to The Literacy Dive, a podcast for teachers who want to take a deeper dive into all things reading and writing. I'm your host, Megan Polk. My number one passion is, you guessed it, all things literacy and supporting teachers like you. Join me each week to learn teacher tips and actionable step-by-step strategies to help you grow as an educator. Are you ready? Let's dive in. 50 episodes. Wow, I cannot even believe it, but what a fun and exciting ride it has been to be able to talk with you all every single Monday on this podcast. This podcast journey has brought me so much fulfillment, so much joy, and if there is something that you aspire to do, my words for you are to just do it. As stated in my intro, this is going to be a super laid-back episode filled with questions that listeners have submitted to me. I cannot possibly answer them all, but I did have my close friend go through. She selected some questions, and I'm going to answer them. Uh, She handpicked a variety for me to answer, and I cut them apart, and I'm literally going to pull them and answer them. So if you hear some paper rustling, that's all it is. I love to have fun like this. So instead of answering 50 questions, which is what I was ultimately thinking to celebrate 50 episodes, I'm actually just going to play a game of 20 questions. So here we go. All right, my first question, what is the thing you miss most about being in the classroom this year? And it was submitted by Morgan. So as you know, the last time I was actually in a full-blown classroom teaching fourth grade was five years ago. Five years ago is when I left the official classroom and I moved into an interventionist position where I was pulling small groups of students all day, loved it, and then recently, you all know, I moved to Tennessee. So it has been quite some time since I have been in the classroom, and what I miss most is interacting with kids on a daily basis and building those relationships. I have always loved and enjoyed seeing my students having the best time during the day, So I really missed that consistent piece. When I moved into teaching small groups only, I did have strong relationships with the kids that I worked with, but I really missed teaching all of the content areas. I was a teacher who was what in Texas we called self-contained, where you teach all five subjects. And so I really did miss teaching social studies and science and math. And so 
That was something that was hard for me when moving to small groups. And now I just really am reflecting on what do I miss most is doing research projects. I always loved doing projects and long types of studies with kids. I miss going on field trips and I really, really miss field day. So anytime that I see other teachers doing those things, It is something that I really, really miss about being in the classroom. Something else is I'm a very social person. And so whenever I left from the classroom to the small group interventionist role, I really missed being on a team and having other close coworkers, things like that. And so I really miss those adult relationships. And so now I really do see the value of having those relationships and I do miss them. And so that is one thing that I miss about being in the classroom is not having the people, my team, to be able to talk to on a daily basis, the adults that I can be able to see on a daily basis, and just being able to collaborate and build a relationship with the adults. Next up, I have a question from Kate and she asks, are you super organized? So my answer is capital letters, no. Now there are certain areas of my life where I am super organized, but overall I would say organization is not my strength and I'm okay with admitting that. Uh, That is not to mistake being disorganized with being messy. I am not a messy person and often cannot focus whenever it's just chaos around me, but my brain is not a systems and processes type of brain, so it's a chore for me to have to focus on true organization, and that is something that I am striving to be right now is to help my brain shift so that I can become more of a systems and process type of person. So. If you have any tips for me, Kate, or anyone else that's listening, I am all ears with how you can help me with organization. The next question is, if I could look at your DVR or Netflix account right now, what shows would we find? And this question is from Millie. Okay, Millie. Well, if you were over here looking at my DVR or my Netflix account right now, you would see Grey's Anatomy, although it's not currently airing, it is in the lineup. You would see Bachelor in Paradise that is currently airing. You would also find Teen Mom OG. You would find Married at First Sight. Um, I do keep my daily lineup of Mari Povich show. You know, You Are Not the Father. That is going to be on my DVR. You will also see new episodes of First 48. Uh, On Netflix, you will see The Circle because I'm currently watching that show. Uh, You would see that I just finished Clickbait, and so it would probably recommend some other shows like that. And yes, I have this very random lineup, but it just works for me. Okay, my next question is from Jocelyn, and she asks, what should a good guided reading lesson contain? And do I have an example week? So I actually have a blog post that I'm going to link in the show notes. I can give you more information, but I'm going to try to breeze through this kind of quickly. So a good guided reading lesson, first off, you would typically see three to six students in a good guided reading group. So they have other kids that they can be able to talk with and learn from. Your session should last about 20 minutes, and assessments should be something that are regularly happening that can be able to determine student progress and keep track of an accurate reading level. Because as we know with guided reading, those groups should remain fluid and flexible so that those groups are changing constantly as your students are changing. And so 
something else for this is that you would see that the text that's being presented should be instructional. So this is going to be the text that is challenging enough to provide work for your students to do, but not so challenging that it causes intense frustration in them and causes them to shut down. So it's going to be your job at this guided reading time to provide that individual and group support while your students are reading. But within your guided reading block, you should definitely have a place for word work or any place where there's a warm up where you can be able to introduce tricky vocabulary or certain types of structures. Like if you're reading a biography and they might see headings or a timeline, something that might be unfamiliar. It's great sometimes to let them get to that part of the book and then make a big deal about it. But you know your kids best. So some of my students, I needed to show them that ahead of time so that they could be successful and not get stumped whenever it came up in the text. So you definitely wanna make sure that there is a planned place for that intense work that you want to show them. You would want to introduce the text in most cases that can be able to point out anything that you want your students to pay attention to. A good guided reading lesson has a time that promotes students for reading aloud. So they can be whisper reading or they could be silent reading, but you definitely want to hear them reading aloud. So whether you're calling on a student or having them all whisper read and you can kind of check in with them. So that's something that definitely should be happening. And then during this time, you should be taking anecdotal notes or running records. And this is going to really help you to grow your lessons and know how to properly plan for future lessons with them. But another component that I would say your guided reading lesson should definitely contain is a place for discussion. So whether you're having discussions during the text, after the text, that should be happening after they're done reading. And you would definitely want your students to write about their reading and repeating the teaching points at the close because you would open up your lesson with that teaching point as well. So That is kind of a general what your guided reading lesson could contain, but again, I will leave a blog post for you so that you can be able to read more about that. Okay, my next question is from Landon, and he said, you like crime shows, so you go missing intentionally, in parentheses, where could you be found? Okay, so this is for everyone. If I ever intentionally go missing, you could find me at a local coffee shop. I love going to coffee shops. And so if I'm ever missing, chances are I'm at one of them. So just go to Yelp, find the top coffee shops in the area that I'm located, whatever city it is I'm in, and I'm probably there. Okay. Raina asks, introvert or extrovert? So I am an extrovert, but you may never know it because I'm not super vocal or talkative on social media and in my stories and things like that, but in person I am. So while I'm super extroverted and I was definitely a person to check on during the pandemic, I do value my alone time as that's how I recharge. So I can come off as very introverted, but I would say I'm very much an extrovert. Next up, what is your favorite color? What's your lucky number? How did you choose them? And there's no name for this one, so I'll just answer it. My favorite color is green, and my lucky numbers are 11 and 5. I would say 11 is my favorite number because it's my mom's birthday, and 5 is just a number I've always liked, probably because it represents the amount of people in my family, but I'm not really sure why I chose five, but 11 and five are definitely my lucky numbers. Green is my favorite color. Green, just because I love it. 
There's no story behind it. I've seen it. I like several shades of green, and I don't like all the shades of other colors. So green is definitely my favorite color. Next up, Mika asks, what are your favorite types of resources to use with students? Okay, Mika, anything hands-on that provides students with that hands-on experience or that has a scaffold connected to it are my favorites. Many of my kids have always needed extra support. So if that's built into the resource, it helps my students, it helps me, and we are both winning at this thing called learning. So I also love sticky notes. So if a resource involves sticky notes, it will automatically become one of my favorites and I will use it so much it will become my students' favorites too. So sticky notes are truly the perfect size. I and my students have always loved them. So my favorite types of resources, anything that's hands-on has a scaffold and if it uses a sticky note, it is a bonus. Okay, Serenity asks, if you weren't a teacher, what would your dream job be? Oh, this is going to be a good one. Okay, so I have always wanted to be an actress on the Disney Channel since I started watching Disney at a very, very young age. Literally, it was one, it was like a childhood dream for me. I even went to some auditions at some point in time. But my parents were both in the military, so the lifestyle really was not conducive for my sisters or I to ever do anything outside of going to school. So when I got to college, I actually auditioned and got into an agency there. I did some commercials. I did some print modeling. And that's the closest I ever got to Disney, which was still pretty far away from the Disney Channel. But outside of that, I've always wanted to be a homicide detective ever since my dad introduced me to the first 48 when I was, I think it was late high school or early part of college. And shortly after, he introduced me to Investigation Discovery. And so those are two of my favorite channels, Annie and ID. I served on um, the grand jury as well and ended up loving it because that's the closest I could ever come to having my voice heard when it came time to talk about true crime and murders. So yeah, those would be my dream jobs, either being an actress on Disney or being a homicide detective. Okay, Robbie asks the next question. It says, you are on a deserted island and can only take three items. What are they? Ooh, how deserted are we talking, Robbie? Like, do I have Wi-Fi or cell service or is it just like completely deserted? Because that that's that's a little bit of a difference, you know, if there's nothing there. But I feel like the wise answer would be to say water, things for shelter and practical things like that. But I hate water. And if you follow me, you know that. So here, I'm gonna just say what I would take. First things that come to mind, I would take my computer, hoping that service was not an issue on this deserted island. I would probably take candy, uh, Starburst, gummy bears, stuff like that, because I just like it, even though I should not be eating it. And I'd probably take a glamping tent, because if I'm on a deserted island, I would need shelter. People would take a tent, but I would need a glamping one, because I don't do anything outside. Like, you know, I don't like camping but I think I would like glamping. So there were probably some other things that I should pack, but honestly, Robbie, I hope that I'm never deserted on an island and only have to be forced to choose three items because yikes, that would be tragic. Okay, the next question says, what tips do you have for lesson planning? And this is a question from Byron. Okay, so off the hand, lesson planning can be, ooh, it can be kind of tricky. 
So my top tips would be to keep your students top of mind. And this just basically means considering their needs over the standards. I know that we have some districts are very explicit and say, you need to teach this this week. But if your students are not grasping it, you need to be their advocate and say, you know what? We need a little bit more time. And so keeping their needs on top of the standards is definitely a tip for lesson planning. Um, I would say also use the method that works for you. And this is more so how you're keeping your plans. I know that it seems everyone has gone over into the digital world, but I'm very much a paper pencil type of person. So I like to write in my planner. I like using colorful pens. I like adding stickers. It makes me happy. And so when I'm happy, I'm better able to lesson plan. And when I can do my lesson planning when I'm happiest, then I'm better able to execute it. I would also say for lesson planning to collaborate, do not feel like you need to plan on your own. Don't think that your brain is the only brain that needs to design these lessons. So if you can brainstorm with your team or if you don't have a team, finding other teachers to bounce ideas off of, that would be key for lesson planning. And also, if your district doesn't create a pacing guide, then I would suggest taking the time to pace it yourself, looking at your standards and working backward to try to make sure that you can allocate enough time to teach the skills. And you know from your experience which skills need more time. And so you can be able to budget that in appropriately. But ultimately, be fluid and flexible. I I say those two words a lot because that's really what you have to be as a teacher. But that basically is that Recognize that your lesson plan is just a plan. It's a set of actions that you hope to take, but be flexible to allow for changes with your plan. And the last thing I kind of want to say about that is that, true story, think about breaks, holidays, field trips, early release days, school events, all of those kinds of things that can pop up. Because I used to not think about those things before making my plans, and those things would completely throw my plans out the window. So if you can think about those things in advance, then it'll help you stay on track and you can plan accordingly so that each week and its demands can be adjusted depending on how much time you actually have. Our next question is from Rita and Rita asks, what is the most spontaneous thing you have done? Well, Rita, besides going blindly into this episode with answering questions, uh, something recent that I can actually share is letting Teachergram, the Instagram teachers, select my move date. I had Instagram completely chime in to a poll that I put up, and that is probably the most spontaneous thing that I've done lately. So I had two random dates, only numbers. They had no idea what they were selecting. I just put six digits into a poll and told them to choose whatever number they wanted to. So many people chimed in and voted for something they did not even know what they were voting for, but that is exactly how I selected my move date. They selected a number, I left it up for 24 hours, and I ended up with my date. Other than that, other spontaneous things I've done, I've booked flights and left the same day before. I've booked a flight and left within three or four days out of the country before. So I definitely do those kinds of spontaneous actions, but... Yeah, I mean, I like living life on the edge a little bit, you know? It keeps life fun. 
Ren asks, how did you grow your Instagram to where it is? Is that your favorite social media platform in real life? Okay, so literally this was never even a thought uh, in terms of my Instagram page. I honestly did not even think this platform would be one that worked for me. I was connecting with people, with a group of ladies, and one of them encouraged me to start a Facebook and Instagram page, and I had no idea what I was even doing when I got started. It definitely was not the page that you see now. And at the time, Facebook just, I didn't really get engagement at all from it. And Instagram started growing a little bit quicker. So I stuck with Instagram. And I find that it's such a great place to connect with others. I found so many ideas that I loved and I could use for my students. And so I decided to share what I was creating and doing with my students in hopes that it would impact other teachers and help them with their students and what their students need. So That is um, how I grew it, just by sharing consistently and engaging with people on the platform. And in real life, Instagram is a little bit more my speed, although I don't personally use my personal Instagram account anymore, but it definitely was one that I was more familiar with. And so I'm really glad that it turned out to be the platform that works for my teachergram life. But going back to the growth, there is no magic formula that grows it. It's really just being present, being consistent. I think that just like anything, it takes like a relationship building. And so the more that you can engage and connect with people, the more that they are willing to engage back with you and be able to share you with their friends based on the value that you can provide for them. So that is just kind of how my Instagram grew But I would say if you're being genuine, being true, and just being yourself, your Instagram will definitely grow too. My next question is from Lori, and she asks, what advice do you have for first-year teachers? Okay, first-year teachers, understand that especially, no matter if you're on social media, Pinterest, or following people's blogs, those types of medias are a highlight reel, and you do not have to do everything that you see, and in fact, you shouldn't. I would also say ask questions. There is no stupid question. More people than you know are eager and willing to help you, and they probably have those same questions. So if you can ask them, just think about it as like helping somebody else, but also just knowing that people are typically nice and wanting to help other people, especially first-year teachers. Um, Make connections, whether it's in your grade level, your school, another school, virtually. Build a support system because you will need it. So... Build those teachers, and I love connecting with people that are not in my school because it just seems like a safe place, and if you are just frustrated or wanting to vent about something because we are human, it just keeps it a little bit less messy and not inside of your school. So if you have people outside of your school, virtually in another state, it's awesome. I would say to give yourself grace, make sure that you're resting, prioritize, learn, grow, just Take it easy on yourself. You are doing a hard job, especially if you're starting teaching right now in the middle of a pandemic. And so give yourself lots of grace and speak affirmations over yourself. Tell yourself, I am effective. I am a great teacher. My students are lucky to have me. I am equipped to do the job. Those types of affirmations, especially when we are so hard on ourselves, are going to help you to get through your first year. Okay, June asks, what has been the best part and worst part about your move to Tennessee from Texas? All right, let's start with the best part. The best parts of moving to Tennessee has been the new friends that I'm able to make. 
I have really just been focused on making new friendships, making new relationships here. And so that has been a really, really big perk of moving here. And the weather has been kind of nice. It gets kind of cool in the mornings and cool in the evenings. So that's been a nice change. Definitely less traffic. The fact alone that there are not eight to nine, 10 lanes of traffic is already a really, really good change from Texas. I feel like I haven't really experienced traffic, which is a great thing. I have a new church here. That's part of the reason I moved here. So that has definitely been one of my best parts about moving to Texas is being able to see this church plant come to life and then ultimately seeing my family more. My family has been in Tennessee. I have not. And so with coming here, that has just been something that's been one of my best parts. Now, the worst parts, and I don't want to really say like worse, but my worst parts of being here is my old friends. I really, really miss my friends that are in Texas. I really miss just life in Houston. And so that is definitely one of my worst parts. Also, the weather. Just like I like the weather that's cooler here, I do like having two seasons, and that's what Houston brought to me. And so I'm trying to gear up to understanding like what's about to happen for the winter. I am not a person that likes cold weather. I don't have cold clothing, so I am trying to prepare myself for that. Tex-Mex. I really, really miss Tex-Mex. I just, you can't find Tex-Mex anywhere that is not in Texas, and so that's been pretty hard to adjust to. It's definitely more expensive to live here. That shocked me because I live in a pretty expensive place in Houston and the cost of living where I like to live here in Tennessee is just more expensive to live. So that's been a change. And then I think living minimally because all of my stuff is currently in my sister's basement while I'm living with family to figure out where I want to live. And so not having access to all of my things has definitely been an adjustment and one of the worst parts about moving to Tennessee. But ultimately, my worst part list is not even that bad. And so I'm definitely excited about this new journey and life that is going to come by way of me being here in Tennessee. Okay, I am nearing the end of these questions, but we still have a few more. And now that I'm thinking about it, I probably should have put these in some type of order instead of pulling uh, blindly. But here we go. Steph asks, what positive outcomes came from teaching during the pandemic? And Steph, I would probably say positive outcomes, ways to reach more students, whether they're at home, in person, we had to get very, very creative for that. So um, thinking about ways to reach more kids, thinking about ways to help teachers more in their unique situations, that was a positive outcome for me. Innovative practices, I had to get really crafty and creative to figure out how to teach kids through a computer screen or how to reach kids that never logged on. And so it really made me more innovative. But honestly, one of the things that came out of this is ultimately setting my priorities and realizing that I needed to focus on what matters most in my life. And the biggest takeaway was recognizing that I am replaceable. And so due to that, anything that I'm doing from now on, I'm focusing on myself and my family and the things that I prioritize most. And that is something positive that came from my teaching and a pandemic experience. Brenna asks, how do I incorporate small groups while having to social distance? This is a great question, and just know that it can be done. You do have to get creative, but it can be done. So if you are teaching small groups in person and you are having to socially distance, here are a couple of my suggestions. 
I also have a blog post on this that I will link in the show notes, but I'm just going to share a couple of suggestions for you. One, I would think about smaller group sizes. So typically, I know that we try to have six in a group, but I would try grouping kids in groups of three or four. You won't be able to meet with every group each day, but you can create a schedule that's manageable for you. And you can try using the sit spots where students can be able to join you on the floor while maintaining distance from each other. And it's way easier to spread out three children than trying to spread apart six. When getting back in person, think about your reading time so your students can be able to whisper read on the floor while you're calling aloud on certain students to read aloud for you. So that way you can still assess their reading habits. But if you can't teach them on like your carpet on the floor or you can't do a lesson with them together and hear it, you can pull them together for your introduction send them back to their seats where they can, you would then have to actually circulate to hear them read aloud. And then you could bring them back together to have discussion and wrap up. Something else, this is not ideal at all, but you have to do what you have to do if you are in this situation. So you could have your students choral reading and that's just where everyone reads together at the same time or they could round robin. That way you could hear students as they are reading, they stop, another student picks up. Uh, and continues reading. Again, this is not ideal, but if you have to teach guided reading from a distance, this might be a good option for you, and it's better to have students reading in that format than them not reading at all. Uh, Something else is like the use of devices. If your school provides one-to-one devices, mine never did, but my students seem to have them. So if there is a way where you can bring devices into your classroom, then you could use digital readers and that's going to be putting books into the hands of your students and you could do your guided reading lessons that way. And depending on what you've already set up, you could still meet with your students in breakout rooms. You could still have your students use um, a certain type of app where they could be able to respond to questions. It's just not that you're all grouped together. The key here is that any time with you is going to be better than no time at all. So I think that your first order of business would be to try to see how you can shave your small groups down into even smaller groups. That way you can appropriately distance and still get in the great teaching and there's enough kids there where students can be able to learn from each other and have that connection piece going. Okay, this next question, how would you describe yourself in three words? There is no name, so I don't know who wrote this one, but this is hard. I would just say just three words. I'm kidding. I would say the three words that come to mind that I know if you asked my friends what they would say is I'm loyal, I am honest, and I am spontaneous. Okay, Leah asks, why did you start this podcast? How can you take on such a big undertaking? Okay, Leah, my sole reason for starting this podcast was to be able to answer in-depth questions that I was getting asked on Instagram. I saw that there would be certain questions that would get asked over and over again, and I could only respond so much in a 60-second voice memo or by trying to type it out. So I figured that I would create episodes, and then when people ask the question, I could give them the longer responses and ideas that I have via the podcast. Now, I always wanted to do video, but then I had the issue of feeling like I was never camera ready, I was never presentable, so a podcast was more practical solution for me, and I could essentially look how I wanted, I could wear what I wanted, nobody would ever know. In fact, you have no idea what I look like right now, Leah. You have no clue, but that's not important. So 
That is what I, that's why I started the podcast. And soon I hope to turn all of these episodes into blog posts so that people that don't listen can still be able to read great content. And the second part to this, how can I take on such a big undertaking? Well, I was trying to do it all by myself and I couldn't. And so I got connected with an amazing podcast manager. And so Leah, that is how I am able to bring this podcast to you. It is because of my podcast manager, Sarah. She is incredible. I could not do this podcast without her. I started the podcast without her and she has taken this podcast to a whole new level of doing things that I was never doing on my own before. So I don't do this by myself, and that is how I'm able to give you these weekly episodes because all I'm responsible for is recording it, and she does the rest. You guys, we are down to the final question. This is question number 20, and it comes from Tyra. And this last question of this episode says, where do you see yourself in five years? Ooh, this is a great question. And honestly, this is a question I do not even know how to answer. Mainly because five years ago, I would have never seen my life now the way that my life was back then as the way that I wanted it. I hope that makes sense. The life that I wanted five years ago is not the life that I have now, but I couldn't picture the life that I have now five years ago. That sounds better. So I definitely did not see myself moving away from Texas five years ago. I did not see myself starting a business or creating and sharing my teaching resources with thousands of teachers around the world. I did not see myself having an Instagram page that I could connect with teachers with. I did not see myself growing in church and in faith and through ministry. There were so many things that I did not see for myself five years ago, and I totally thought that I would be married by now since we're just putting it out there. There were several people asking about my personal life, and I'm so grateful to my friend for like not picking all of those personal questions, but I definitely thought that I'd be married by now, and I'm not. So as I try to think about scratching the surface to even answer this, in five years, I hope to be settled here in Tennessee. Uh, maybe moving into my dream home, and hopefully by that time, maybe I will be married. I hope I am, but I'm truly living out God's timing and not mine, so if I'm not, it's totally okay. I see myself being deeper in my faith walk with God. I would love to have another business. I don't even know what doing what, but I would love to have it. I hope to release a series of children's books that I have literally been dreaming about since college and I've kind of started working on, but then I put it away. So in five years, maybe that'll come to fruition. I also want to be well-traveled because I am claiming and trusting and believing that COVID will be defeated. So I want to travel. And so in five years, I hope to be doing that. Who knows what else? But these are all just things I want. But listen, I'm going to tell you right now, and this is actually the best question to end it with. Ultimately, I think I struggle with this question because it limits what I'm actually able to do because it boxes me in. So let's just stick with I want to be healthy, I want to be happy, and I'm open for whatever's in store across the next five years. Okay, you all, this was so much fun. I am so just incredibly thankful for you all for asking me questions, being invested in what I'm doing, supporting my podcast, for showing up every single Monday to hear new episodes. I am incredibly thankful and humbled and just so 
at a loss for words because you will never know what this podcast means to me. So thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. I am so excited that I was able to spend my 50th episode in this way with you all. But stay tuned because later this week, I am going to be airing a listener favorite. So you'll have to tune in on Wednesday and you can be able to hear a listener favorite from my podcast so far. Again, I am so grateful and thankful that you are tuning in with me, listening to me, supporting me. And if you enjoy this podcast, I would love it if you could pause what you're doing, take a moment to rate and review this podcast so that others that come across it can know exactly what they can expect. I cannot wait for you to tune in to our listener favorite. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Come hang out with me over on Instagram at The Literacy Dive. I would love to hear from you in my DMs. If you are enjoying this podcast, be sure to hit that follow button and share this with a friend. I'll catch you in the next episode.